Unhome, Abusive Partners, and How to Save a Friendship. L. Monday, September 5th, 2022. I haven't heard back from her yet. I'm not sure if it's because she hasn't heard the message yet or because she's cultivating a response. I bet she hasn't listened to it. Oh, my heart. It's all about sharing our happiness palaces, isn't it? We're all writing our own individual stories, and when we intertwine with other people, as colleagues, friends, and lovers, we try to bring our stories together. The shitty stuff happens when the narrative becomes a tug of war, and we fight to see whose version of a happiness palace we can build. If we're lucky, though, we realize we're not actually doing the writing. If we're lucky, we look inward, create our safe space from the inside out. Then we band together with other people, good people, people worth sharing your story with. We bring our happiness palaces together and we float along on the waters of life as best we can. Our lives aren't books. We don't get to be the main character all the time as much as I'd like to think the opposite. The best we can manage is to take our surroundings and roll with the punches the universe throws at us, responding in a way that lifts us up out of the current, to ride along in the waves in the ocean of now, and to help a few people swim alongside. If that weren't hard enough, there are sharks in the water. Oh, my heart. Life is hard. I know I mix metaphors too much, and it's starting to get out of hand, but I can't help it. I keep picturing our happiness palaces, but it's really like they're teeny islands. Not even. Our happiness palaces stand perched precariously atop tiny boats that are floating in the sea of the universe. Gail and I shared a boat that cold, hard winter of 2020 to 2021, when COVID restrictions clamped down fiercely and we had each other and nobody else. We were grounded, her, me, Richard, and the children. That's when I started learning how to raise my drawbridge to the world, how to turn my phone off, how to just be. Gail and Dick, I know it's Dick for short, ironic, right, had permanent bridges to the outside world. They ran their online business at 9 p.m. on a Monday night, answering phone calls at 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Their meetings never stopped. We worked around each other's schedules because the house is pretty loud and there were two kids and three grown-ups stuck in quarantine in one of the coldest places you can find habitable in early January. We juggled this strange new pandemic world, searching for some semblance of normal, all while I was healing from the worst crisis in my life. We did a damn good job. One day I heard them giggling in their bedroom. I was walking by and I couldn't help it. I peered through the open door so I could hear the joke. Lorelei, they both said, laughing, come here. So I sat, perched on the edge of the bed. We were just saying that you're the best roommate in the world, blurted out Gail. No, seriously, confirmed Dick, smiling. I've never had a roommate like you. You just blend into the household so seamlessly. I don't feel like we have to second-guess what we say or cordon off food in the fridge and you clean up after yourself. And you're absolutely amazing with the children, finished Gail. Seriously, said Richard. Sometimes I listen to you with them and I don't even know how you relate to them so well. They respect you, said Gail, simply. They really do, said Richard, and if I hadn't known better, I would have thought there was a touch of envy in his voice. Anyway, we love you, said Gail. We do, said Richard. They sat there, beaming at me, and I melted again. I love you guys, too, I murmured.
And it was true. I did. They were my family now. I hadn't experienced family for a very long time. Not like that. It brought me back to my childhood, before we all started going in separate directions. Before years of awkward, unacknowledged estrangement. Before our family got too big for itself, too many cooks in the kitchen, too many independent voices. Before we boiled and overflowed my family, and now we all live miles and miles apart. Sometimes a phone call can bridge the distance, but sometimes it can't. On that first day when I arrived with a backpack and nothing else, I cried a lot. I had bun-buns, but none of my other stuffies. Luckily, Felix had a thousand trillion. I heard Richard whispering to him in the kitchen, Lorelai is really sad. Do you think she could use some of the stuffies? Suddenly, I was surrounded in plushies. Dogs, raccoons, monkeys, sharks. There were imaginative ones, boring ones, colorful ones, hard ones, soft ones. Some of his were, his were identical to mine. I was going to have to go back and bring home more. This is home now, I realized. Later, I sat in the kitchen with the adults as they prepared dinner. Family dinner. I'd forgotten what that was like. Meanwhile, Felix, still so much a boy, not yet the prepubescent tween he is now, with the 45-minute long showers and hair that has permanently covered his eyes, was in the living room, puttering. This is what I found when I came in. Oh, my heart. If you want to see, dear listeners, go to the photo. In the morning, I sent a text to Gail. It was a picture of my diary entry. I am at Gail's. The sun in my room is beautiful. I feel safe. Within a week, I had moved in. I didn't move out exactly. The moving out saga was a slow untangling process with my master that would take a total of six months to bring itself to a stormy conclusion. But that week, I moved in. With a folding table and chair I'd borrowed from Richard and Gail's porch, I sat down and started building my business. As soon as I could, I went home and brought home art projects for Riley and enough stuffies to build a palace with Felix. I've never met a grown-up like you, he said. Thank you, I grinned, and we carried on with our stuffy tea party. I still don't understand how visiting an empty apartment can be the scariest thing in the world. I needed more th things when it became clear that I was not going back. Make a plan and have a safety net, they say in the domestic abuse pamphlets. So I got friends to act as safeguards, ensuring the condo would be empty of master and that I would have somebody to hold my hand. I didn't need much, and I couldn't take much either, not without confronting Gavin and all of his persuasive words. I didn't know what would happen if I did confront him. I just knew that I was scared of what he would do, and I didn't have the energy to find out what that would be. I found out in bits and pieces over the next few months. The scary thing he did was frightening indeed, for he suddenly transformed into the attentive husband he had never been. He spoke kindly to me. He gave gifts. He touched me in places he hadn't touched before, not for a very long time. He kissed me. He asked instead of ordering or scoffing or sarcastically scorning. In short, he offered me a thousand and one reasons why I should come home. Luckily, I knew by then that he couldn't be trusted. I had become in tune to the microaggressions, and I could see how he acted only out of self-interest. I gave him small chances to redeem himself from the safety of Gail and Richard's happiness palace boat. And one by one, he failed at every single task, always revealing the monster below the words. I 
knew I couldn't move out completely, so I moved out slowly. Anyway, that's how it happened, kind of. I mean, there's a lot more to the story, and I imagine it will unravel in bits and pieces just the way it's been doing for the last two months. But in a nutshell, that's how I moved into Plateau Place, Gail's home in that beautiful neighborhood off of St. Denis. That first day, when the stuffies all met in that big circle that Felix arranged, somebody had the bright idea of putting Nacho the cat in the center of the circle. Richard got all huffy when Nacho wouldn't stay still. I guess that was the first sign of things to come. Richard insults the cat a lot, which makes total sense now that I can see the big picture. I mean, psychopaths torture cats, right? So it only makes sense that emotional abusers would try to hurt the cat's feelings. The great thing is, it will never work, because Nacho is a cat. So fuck you, Richard. Yeah, anyway. Fast forward almost two years from that story. I have my own boat now, and I love it. It was probably a necessary step, anyway. But sometimes I miss Gail and the kids so much it hurts, and I can't stand what Dick is doing to her happiness palace. And if she wants me to watch her kids for a month from her home this October, I think it's reasonable that I tell her that I need boundaries with Evil McGee. It's kind of a necessary conversation to have when the monster in question has free entry into her happiness palace, but he's banned from mine. Oh, but that butterfly, that beautiful, wonderful, exasperating butterfly does not like to think about the fact that I can't stand her fiancé. Because when she acknowledges it, she has to see things from my perspective. And she trusts my perspective. So I'm pretty sure she's ignoring me. And it hurts. Love. Lorelai.